Welcome to Frontier Pedagogy for the Martian Educator. This is episode one of season zero. Some of you may be wondering why this, the second episode, is counted as one instead of two. We don't use ordinals here. I start counting at zero. You should too. Frontier Pedagogy for the Martian Educator is an education podcast that attempts to get to the bottom of current thinking in education to answer a very simple question. When we launch our colonies to Mars, what educational ideas will we take with us? Frontier Pedagogy for the Martian Educator is a podcast about the history of education here on Earth, where we will consider the present, past, and future of education policy research and practice. As the title suggests, special emphasis will be placed on the future of education, but this is not a science fiction podcast. Think of it less as speculation and more of a thought experiment. If you've ever asked yourself what book or record you would take with you to live out the rest of your life on a deserted island, you've done an experiment much like this. Optimistically, humans will begin to settle the solar system in the next 50 to 100 years. To settle, you have to have children. This podcast asks what and how you would teach those children. I'm Ryan Schoon, your resident Martian educator. I've been a professional, though earthbound, educator since 2004, having taught students from kindergarten to college and most points in between, though not in that order. I want to be clear at the outset that I am not a doctor of education. I have a master's degree in English literature and am finishing up a second master's degree in educational leadership. The views I express on this podcast are entirely my own from my experience as an educator, parent, and student of education. They do not reflect the views of my employer or anyone else. It is just me, folks, talking about education on Mars. During the Apollo 13 mission, There was a rather important example of the type of on-the-fly instruction students and adults in a long-term colonization effort may have to undergo. While the mission was originally slated for a moon landing attempt, an oxygen tank on the service module exploded. The three astronauts had to leave the module and take up residence in the two-person lunar lander. The lander had sufficient oxygen reserves for three people, but it did not have sufficient filtration to scrub the CO2 emitted by those three people. NASA then had to find a solution on the ground to radio back to the men, using only equipment they had with them on the spacecraft. Thus was created the mailbox, a clever Frankenstein's monster of parts scavenged from throughout the ship, which allowed the astronauts to interface the filters from the service module with the filtration system in the lunar lander. Again, this improvised solution was taught to the astronauts entirely over radio without the benefit of visual demonstration a true testament to the skill and ingenuity of the engineers on both sides of the mic. In a colonizing situation, matters would be even more confounded due to radio delay. Radio signals, as a form of electromagnetic radiation, travel at the speed of light. Propagation of signals between the Earth and Moon takes a little over two and a half seconds. Propagation from Earth to Mars would take a little over three minutes. That delay is doubled for every call and response. For instance, 
If I was sitting on Earth teaching teenage Martian children via teleconferencing app, and I asked, are there any questions, as teachers are wont to do, three minutes later, my students would hear the question. Six minutes after I had asked the original question, I would hear the typical teenage response, no. If I wasn't satisfied with that, as teachers never are, it would take three more minutes for my students to hear me say, are you sure? Because this is fairly complicated material. Six minutes later, a full 12 minutes after the original question was asked, I would hear a response, and so on. Propagation concerns alone would require a whole new system of checking for understanding. I'll include a demonstration of this phenomenon at the end of the podcast. One way around this would be AI-assisted instruction. Papanichki and Keir, in their 2017 article, Exploring the Impact of Artificial Intelligence on Teaching and Learning in Higher Education, present a fascinating look at the ways AI is already infiltrating education here on Earth. They discuss the use of IBM's Watson on the campus of Deakin University in Australia. I quote, A supercomputer able to provide bespoke feedback at any hour is reducing the need to employ the same number of administrative staff previously serving this function. In other words, AI is able to replicate the functions of traditional personnel, providing individualized responses to student queries. While chilling to the job prospects of college administrators, the implication for a frontier pedagogy are manifold, and AI doesn't require food, specialized shelter, oxygen, or become tired of waiting. They are the ideal classroom aides, and even more to the point, would not need to limit their functions to that role. An AI can at one second answer a preschooler's question as to what oceans are, while in the next analyze subsurface permafrost for signs of ancient aquifers. Versatility is the name of the game. In the delay between asking for questions, an earthbound instructor could use predictive algorithms to gauge common misunderstandings while a Mars-based AI fielded questions and offered bespoke responses. When the response finally landed, it could be accompanied with data the AI shared and formative assessments completed by students. In coaching, we often advise new teachers to slow down so they can ensure students understand what they're being taught. Propagation would force our hand in this regard. All of this talk about AI in education might beg the question, why not send the teachers along? I have had a deep internal debate about this, perhaps brought on a bit by a pining for exploration myself. The reality, though, is that it is highly unlikely, at least in its early stages, that a colonization effort would support specialized, professionalized teachers. At most, we should look to the example of the American Frontier's single-room schoolhouse as an example of the future of education. It is much more likely that a single member of the crew could be afforded than the series of hyper-focused experts currently employed. 
It is startling to come to grips with the sheer number of teachers an average child interacts with in a modern school. Kindergarten through fifth grade, students would have six homeroom teachers minimum. They would also have specialists, usually around four for such subjects as gym, art, and technology. Administrators, interventionists, literary or literacy experts, speech and language pathologists. If each of those roles is inhabited by one teacher, we're already at 14. Then we hit middle school and the number of teachers goes up exponentially. At a conservative estimate of six classes per semester, we might expect to add 12 teachers per year leaving aside administrators and specialists. An average student in a large American school might expect to have nearly 84 teachers over the course of their kindergarten through 12th grade education, each teaching one tiny discipline focused on one small swath of the subject, adding to one microscopic corner of the child's total education. Frontier pedagogy is a survival pedagogy. Our current system is expansive, resource-hungry, and too cumbersome to stack in the hold of a cargo ship, at least for the first little bit. Let's take a quick break for a segment I call News from NASA. According to a press release, NASA will host its 2021 STEM-a-thon this week, a series of activities and engagements aimed at sparking interest in careers and broadening student participation in science, technology, engineering, and math. According to NASA, the event highlights paths to careers at NASA and encourages students to pursue their interests in STEM. It will offer live presentations, interactive questions and answer sessions, and more. Bill Nelson, a NASA administrator, points out that NASA needs a vast talent pool in order to accomplish its missions, including returning humans to the moon. I think this quote is important because it shows NASA's continued endeavors to expand its future talent pool, though I'd honestly criticize that the effort does not seem to be all that robust. Unless you're one to read NASA's press releases, you likely miss the announcement. Nelson continues, we're grateful to everyone in education who worked tirelessly to keep kids inspired and help them see their own potential, and we're excited to offer these events and activities during American Education Week. The agency's STEM engagements will run between Sunday, November 14th, through Saturday, November 20th. The American Frontier example also has its drawbacks. Each year I take my little family to Buckley Homestead, a homestead established here in Indiana by a family fleeing the Irish potato famine. The 1850s homestead includes a functional farm, settler's cabin, and historical reenactors. Also on the grounds is a single-room schoolhouse from the period still intact some 150 years later. This single-room schoolhouse transports the visitor back into the time of its use. 
the only betrayal of the nostalgia being the distant view of the modern thousand-student school from the northeastern window. The teachers of this schoolhouse, and others like it, were generally young, unmarried girls of 14 to 18 years of age, focused on little else but reading, writing, and arithmetic, though, in fairness, little else was expected of the farmers of the time. The example of these frontier teachers is a good place to look for a model on what an early Martian colony school might look like. As many of us learned after our first day back from the pandemic lockdowns, some combination of early childhood education and child care is necessary, especially at the beginning of education. The six-minute delay for call and response across the Mars-Earth propagation horizon would be wholly destructive in the case of alphabet songs and phonics instruction, an expert in the education of young children, especially one with a background in speech pathology and child psychology, might be a welcome addition to an early colony especially under the express intention of passing those skills along to the next generation via apprenticeship. Apprenticeship was the model of education most students worked under during the Middle Ages, and just as the pioneer schools are, it's a useful direction in which to think of colonies outside of Earth. Each member of such a colony will have a specific role and function suited specifically to the environment in which they live. The travails of that environment might be so foreign as to make those within the colony the only functional experts within those fields. How does one mine on a planet with an iron core one half the size of the radius of the planet? I surely don't know. I don't even know if that would make a difference, but... Someone who would spend a large chunk of their life mining the Martian crust surely would. This is the kind of expertise that would surely be passed down to a competent apprentice. We must also think of the children we are discussing. Surely, early efforts at colonization would not include families with children, but we know that whenever people cohabitate, children tend to sprout up. These would be Martian children, born and raised outside Earth's gravitational well, it's unlikely that they would go to the trouble of returning to Earth for advanced education like college. What would be the point? Their families, friends, and way of life would be centered on another world. Why spend a year traveling away from that to spend an indeterminate time pursuing education only to spend a year on a return journey, especially when the problems you seek to solve are right there in front of you. Remember, it was in 1636 that Harvard was founded, the first college in what would become the United States. That was just 29 years after the first British colony of Jonestown in Jamestown in 1607. People do not cross oceans of water or space to seek degrees. So here we have a rough sketch of various models of education that might come into play in an early Martian colony. Long-distance, interplanetary e-learning, AI-assisted learning, professionally staffed single-room schoolhouses, and on-site apprenticeships. 
What is striking to me is how closely that combination models our current system of gifted and talented education, so much so that I, as a high-ability teacher and coordinator, had to check in around my own biases to see if I was inadvertently tipping the scales. In high-ability education, you see, and I should mention that the term high-ability we use here in Indiana is virtually synonymous with gifted and talented for most intents and purposes, but in high-ability education, you often see students taking advanced e-learning classes their school doesn't have the staff to offer. Uh, though high-ability students attend general education much of the time, they spend some chunk of their time with certified high-ability teachers. Other than the largest elementary schools, this is usually limited to one or two teachers. Likewise, student apprenticeship, and more importantly in my estimation, student specialization around interests are encouraged. AI is really in its infancy, so it doesn't play any more role in their education than it does in that of any other children, but still... There are interesting parallels between a frontier pedagogy and the standard practices of high-ability education. I believe that this has more to do with thinking through what education looks like writ small than it does with my biases or any unconscious attempt to homogenize students. High-ability programs are tiny compared to general education. So too would early attempts towards interplanetary colonial schools be homogenization would actually be a horrible way to proceed with interplanetary colonial schools. When I was a teacher in Houston, Texas, we had a superintendent that liked to say, our parents send us the best kids they have. They don't have better ones hiding at home. That will be doubly true during colonization efforts. There won't be any quote-unquote better children to find anywhere on the planet. That will make it the Martian educator's responsibility to educate each and every child that is there towards their fullest potential. Individualization will be a matter of necessity. Homogeneity will be a model for disaster. More to come on that during future episodes. This has been Frontier Pedagogy for the Martian Educator, an education podcast that attempts to get to the bottom of current thinking in education to answer a very simple question. When we launch our colonies to Mars, what educational ideas will we take with us? If you'd like to leave feedback on the podcast or the ideas expressed therein, you can share a voice message with me on anchor.fm backslash ryan-schoon3 backslash message. Schoon is spelled just like school, except with an N instead of an L. That is S-C-H-O-O-N. My name is Ryan Schoon, and with much love from my corner of the cosmos to yours, I bid you adieu.